Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. This is Jennifer from Linden, California. Get exclusive podcasts and more at patreon.com slash partners in crime media, just like I do. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On, the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts, And this week, they thought they were on a Vision Quest retreat with a leading self-help teacher. In the end, three were killed in a makeshift sweat lodge. We learn what happened in Wondery's new hit, Guru. Then, Bela and Marta Caroli were hailed for creating Olympic champion gymnasts. Were they also creating victims? Will we give a 10 to the new 30 for 30 podcast heavy medals, or will we knock a few points off for technical deductions? Joining me to get that done is my true crime co-author and real-life husband, former TV journalist and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is true crime author, licensed private investigator, former defense investigator, and certified cat lady, Lara Bricker. Hello, Lara. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is our resident doubting Thomas, the author of the noir novel. Novels known as the City Trilogy and the host of the Strange Arrivals UFO podcast, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hey, Rebecca. So, Laura and Toby, question for you guys. Yeah. You've been sweating your balls off or what? It's been pretty freaking hot here in New Hampshire, like shockingly so, don't you think? Yes. Uh, yeah. So I, I spent the first part of this week by myself. Uh, Fireman Ken and Young Will are off in this like I'm calling it become a man trap. They are on a hmm. week, like a week long off the grid canoe trip in the middle of nowhere in Maine. Hmm. It's going to involve a sweat lodge. <laughs> well, it's no sweat lodge, but I had to go buy Will these like rain pants. And I went into our local like travel and nature store and I was like, hey, I need this for the become a man trip. And they're like, do you need a spear? And I'm like, what? Yeah. And they're like, because he's going to have to kill a wild. they berate you for being heteronormative, Lara? Is he going to kill a moose and eat its still beating heart? <laughs> Pretty much. And they were like, you know, if he was in uh, Kenya, he'd be killing a boar or something. I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, mm. I just need the pants. So, yeah, it was pretty freaking hot in the beginning of the week. And um, now I'm home for a few days and I have air conditioning and I am so thankful yeah because like i just felt miserable and and like i know we have listeners in other parts of the country who were kind of like i posted something on social media and i'm like oh my god and they're like it's like 112 where we are i'm like yeah i know but this is new hampshire like it's been 
99 degrees. When you're when you're not used to it, you're not used to it. That's the whole thing. It's just like when people we when we have huge blizzards and like long protracted periods of cold here, like I don't care. I'm like that's just how it is here, right? And you know, people it gets to be like 50 degrees in New York and people blow out their down jackets or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Toby Ball, how are you coping? Do you have air conditioning in your home? Uh yeah, in some rooms, not in the uh room where we actually record this podcast. Well, you should buy one of those silent fans. I know that you did. You went to get Laura to get one. I, I do have a silent fan, but when you're just blowing 95 degree air <laughs> in my face, right yourself. it's not like <laughs> your, your sweat infused breath is just coming right back at you. <laughs> it's just, you know, I guess it's better than absolute stillness. Yeah. But yeah. It says, oh, polar on the front. And yes. it's not, it's not feeling super polar. No, it is quiet honest. though. Which we have to appreciate. It's a very good fan. It is only like $28 too. I recommend anyone out there who has a podcast, get one of these USB fans. They're incredible. Kevin, you're holding up okay. It's been wonderful hanging out in our um, wonderfully air-conditioned living room with you. Yeah. And the fan that we have in the studio is aimed at you. That's right. And not at me. The good news is you're winning so the pooing I, over there. Well, I can re- I can reach a leg over and get some on my thigh, <laughs> some of the air. The rest of me, though, is... I feel like you sat in gum over there? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's get right into it, shall we, guys? Yes. I feel like we've already done it. <laughs> Leading off. Law of Attraction says like attracts like... And as you lock your attention upon that, then another particle which is in harmony with it is attracted, and another is attracted, and another is attracted, and a bang, you've got a Mercedes. Many people seeking success and enlightenment found it from motivational speaker James Arthur Ray. Known for his seminars and the self-help film The Secret, Ray also ran exclusive retreats at $10,000 a person. Part of this Vision Quest weekend included heat endurance trials in a makeshift sweat lodge. He explained the rules. I'm the master of the lodge, and so when I tell you to do something, then that's when you do it. You don't say anything unless you're asked to say anything. You will be in such an altered state. In October 2009, three people died and 18 others were injured as Ray encouraged the group to ignore their body's warning signs in the heat. A man could be heard inside the tent screaming, saying that he thought he was having a heart attack. Buddy, you need to pull it together, James told him. The man said he felt like he was going to die. James responded, It's a good day to die. In the number one hit podcast from Wondery, Guru, we'll look at the rise and fall and dubious comeback of James Arthur Ray, as well as the journey of those whose lives were lost. Did the Guru push things too far or were the deaths just an accident? Now we are going to be talking about plot points from Guru. So to get our spoiler free thumbs up or thumbs down reviews, just go to the time code indicated in our show notes. Kevin Flynn. Mm-hmm. Wondery's podcasts. Let's just talk about the style because we have to every time. <laughs> there seems like there's never enough of everything in Wondery podcasts, right? right. Yeah, I would say with Wondery, more is more. Uh, <laughs> and and by that, you know, the soundscape, it's very lush. And that's not necessarily a knock on it, but, you know, there are definitely times when we hear manufactured sound effects and the soundscape is a little too literal, where someone's walking and they have to put in birds chirping. And then when we talk about the things going on in the sweat lodge where they're dropping water onto rocks and it goes, yeah, you know. And they whip the curtain back. James opened the flap to the entrance. More red hot rocks were brought in and dumped in the middle. James closed the flap again, maneuvered to the center, and bathed the rocks in more water. 
Another wave of heat saturated the lodge. It was like a rolling. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> I don't want to like. You don't want to laugh at those moments, and that's why it just seems like a lot, right? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly like they they give their sound engineers sort of free reign. And, meh, I mean, they have gone further with this than sometimes uh, they do here. But, yeah, the Wondery podcasts have a certain sound. So at the beginning of the podcast, we hear that all of these people, again, mostly women, uh, went to this weekend retreat called The Spiritual Warrior, which is like... You know, like a lot of these programs, uh, these self-help programs, there's levels that you can attain, not just self-help programs, but other kinds of programs as well. They go to this program. They are made to first, like, play these weird games where they have to lie on a cold floor. Then they are sent basically out into the desert wilderness for a couple of days just to subsist in a tent and maybe get eaten by coyotes. And then when they return, they're asked to drink some water. And then they go into what... Uh, James calls a sweat lodge, but isn't. We should say that that actually comes up in the podcast. He's he's not actually conducting a legit uh, indigenous person yeah. uh, created sweat sweat lodge ceremony. It's not traditional. He basically builds a giant tent, puts everybody inside, and has somebody pouring water over hot rocks to create steam. Lots and lots of people packed together. They open the flap every fifteen minutes, uh, and if people leave, they get berated and kind of yelled at. But when they do leave, they're thrown on a tarp. And hose down. And uh, we hear in the podcast, one of the women in the sweat lodge describes leaving delirious. And when she's being hosed down on the tarp, she sees steam coming off her body. They, she, he basically cooked these people alive. Uh, three died. A dozen and a half were injured, were harmed. And, you know, this is the fallout from that. So, Laura, what did you think when police arrived on the scene and they sort of talk about that and they get there and they talk about seeing all these people walking around with their heads shaved, not knowing what to make of the scene? You know, was this a attempted mass suicide? What did you think of those scenes, like hearing from those cops who were on the scene? Yeah, I, I think that was a really good window into like the reality of what the situation was like, because you hear from, you know, the people that were there, some of them still kind of trying to say, you know, this was supposed to be, you know, something that bettered ourselves, um, something that was going to improve us. It was like a, a test of endurance, a feat of strength or whatever. And then the police get there and they're like, there's like these people, they're all outside. Like some of them are in just like horrendous condition. Their heads are shaved. We thought it was a mass suicide. Obviously, you've got the people inside the tent who are no longer living. And it was, I have to say, I listened to this during one of our recent heat wave days. Mm. And I was listening to it. Well, you know, I'm not somebody who handles heat well. Like, so like I usually like break out in a rash or something if it's too hot or whatever. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, like I cannot even imagine these people that were staying in for what was it nine rounds as people were just dropping like flies and you know there was the one woman who was who was talking about her counterpart who had done this before and she was giving her tips like get in like child's pose and like dig your hands into the ground and that's going to make you cooler and then that was one of the ones who died Brandy Amstel saw the last participant stagger out but she noticed that Deborah stayed by the flap. At that point, like somebody's like, oh, there's still people in the tent. And I looked at James saying, there's people still in there. I need to get them out. And he said, well, wake them up. 
it gets to the real good uh, legal question, which is, were they uh, able to leave? Were they able to make a decision? Make a leave? decision. Yeah, they weren't being held there. That was the subject so, of did they know, have, yeah. all of the legal proceedings afterwards. Was it a choice? And they tried to make that point by talking about the other things that they didn't feel they had a choice to do. I do think that's an interesting question. You know, at what point in that ceremony do you start to wonder, like, how again is this supposed to help me with my mm, problems? Right. You know, like, I, I'm, I'm seriously going into survival mode right now. I'm like trying not to die. And if I survive, how does this make me better able to deal with the issues that brought me here in the first place? Mm. It's a really strange thing. And and when you, you're talking about that, when the police show up and they're they're trying to figure out what the hell's going on. And it seemed, it seemed like a, one of those movies where, you know, all this crazy stuff happens. And then when it's done, like there's this aftermath and people are just looking around. They're like, Oh my God, like, what the hell were we just doing? Right. And, it, and that must have been the same feeling. It's it's just like, all right, now that like reality has kind of intruded into this bizarre thing that we had going on, what was going on? What were we doing? Why were we going along with this? You know what this reminds me of, you guys, so much in listening to Toby talk and sort of thinking about this scenario is... Scenes when we both watched the documentary on Bikram and listened to the documentary on Bikram, and they're at those yoga retreats, which again, yep. people paid like thousands of dollars to go to, and they had to be there all day, and people are like urinating, vomiting, like defecating, everything, and he is up there lording all of them, like over them in a way, again, much like this guy is, not participating and berating them if they aren't able to sustain themselves in this just absolutely ridiculous situation. And it was the same thing. Oh, absolutely. There is this sort of uh, self-help, self-improvement thread of breaking you down completely, you know, facing your worst fear or facing your most difficult moment. And, you know, this guy, James Arthur Ray's philosophy was you have to die to be reborn. Okay. I thought you were supposed to help me with my career, but cool. <laughs> um, I'm going to get a Cadillac now because I died before I was reborn or whatever. You know what it reminds me of? Um, it, it's going to sound off topic, but I probably promise it's not. I went skydiving once uh, back in my 20s. And one of the reasons why I really wanted to do it was because somebody told me that they're like, first of all, it's fun. Jumping out of the plane is scary, but it's really fun. But after you do it, you legitimately feel like there's nothing in the world you can't do. And I remember thinking like, well, that sounds cool. That would be cool to be like, do this thing. I remember when the door of that plane opened, just being like, yeah, this was a huge mistake. <laughs> and then I was tandem. So like the guy just jumped and I had no choice. I was like attached to him. Oh, my God. And then halfway down, they pulled the chute. And that part is fun, like the floating around part. Mm -hmm. But I landed on the ground and I did not feel like there was nothing I couldn't accomplish. I felt like never again. You could not have paid me $10 million to ever do that again. And you have to imagine that you know yeah trauma and I, I feel really awful for these people that were right there up close to these people who died but like at some point i mean i can't imagine during this week like what kind of level of lack of confidence must you have to be in that moment and think and still be thinking like 
if only I can push through. And in that ways, it is like many of the other things. That but what level about. of confidence do you have to have to be the guru? Yeah. Who is I can just leave these people in here because I believe that I know better what's safe for them and how far right. I can push them. Right. Even though I don't have any like real training. Right. Toby? I was just going to say, I mean, I think the one thing like the sort of science that's looked at this kind of thing is like the Milgram experiments, mm. like the one where... The, the experiment set up and it, it's to see whether people will administer a shock that's right to right. to somebody uh under the guidance of you know uh, a higher authority right a, yeah. a professor who uh, uh and and so i think it's kind of a similar thing it's is you put your trust in this guy and if he says that it's going to be okay like despite the voice inside your head is telling you more people will listen to him than will listen to their own voice. Right. And I think that goes, I mean, it just goes through a whole bunch of things where, you know, it's it's sometimes easier to kind of release that kind of uh, responsibility for yourself to somebody else who you respect, even though at the time it, it, it seems as though you should understand what the consequences are. Laura, this is not the first podcast we've talked about that involves a charismatic leader that has pulled a group of people, mostly women, in on this sort of journey of self-discovery. What do you think of how far the people we hear in this podcast were willing to go to follow Ray and and try to become more enlightened, more successful? Just what do you think of this whole scheme? Well, you know, every time we listen to one of these, I think Toby Ball is a missing his calling because he should start a cult. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Toby. And B, I'm just like, I know that people get sucked in because there is something to be said for, you know, you want to better yourself. You want to live your best life. Like who doesn't want to live their best life? But then things go off the rails. and, And that's where I'm always like, why are these people still here? Hmm. Like now we started with this, like the woman in the beginning who goes with her daughter and the daughter is one of the ones who eventually dies. And it sounds like kind of plausible. You're like, okay, this sounds okay. And you're like, okay, you know, not necessarily something I'd go to, but I can see why people would go. But then as like things become more and more out of the the normal, like, okay, now we're shaving our heads. Okay, now we're going in a sweat lodge or now we're playing this game of like, I'm God and you're dead and you have to lay on the floor for six hours. It's like it kind of defies logic a little bit. And I, I know there's a psychology to it. But, um, you know, how many of these have we watched or listened to where we've seen such similar, you know, scenarios play out with the people really getting sucked into these situations where, you know, people die or other things that are equally terrifying, maybe not equally terrifying as dying, but you know what I mean? I do know what you mean, but there's sort of this thread. It doesn't have to be a spiritual or a sort of success journey. I mean, we yeah. hear a lot of the same threads when we reviewed Bikram, the podcast, the 30 yes. for 30 podcast about, mm-hmm. you know, Bikram, the the yogi. And and Toby, we also heard a lot of these same threads in Jane Marie's reporting in the dream about MLM culture sort of getting together in these off-site places and this rapturous you know, gathering that's designed to sort of like not just change your life and your and, and your level of success, but like change who you are, mold you in some way. Toby, do you hear those common threads too? Oh, oh, absolutely. Jane Marie's, you know, the next season of that same podcast where she's talking about the supplement industry, uh, I think it's a similar thing where you're being kind of sold, you know, an alternative to sort of conventional lifestyles. And this is a way that you can get success or you can get healthy or you can get rich 
or whatever it is, but it always has to do with this knowledge that's like slightly outside of what's accepted by mainstream society or something like science. So, you know, Jane Marie, uh, uh, particularly in the second season when she's talking about the supplements, I mean, she just shows that for people who have, you know, actual ailments or whatever, who are trying to go the supplement route, that, you know, the science just doesn't bear it out. And in fact, this stuff is sometimes harmful to you. And there's since there's no regulation, you, you don't really know what you're getting sometimes. And I think it's similar to what's going on here with the self-help, which is there is no regulation and it ends up being this weird combination of sort of, in this case, at least like group therapy and then borrowing without much reflection on different cultural traditions and then just sort of using them in the most superficial possible way. Mm. And in, in, in this case, it's, you know, the Native American sweat lodge tradition. A lot of these people use sort of Eastern mysticism. And then there's, you know, also this bizarre corporate like team building type stuff. Right. So he kind of throws in together this mishmash, but without any kind of expertise or scholarship or anything. It's just like, oh, I'll try this and I'll try that. And you can pretend you're a homeless guy for a while and we'll see what happens, you know, overcome your fears. What could possibly go wrong? And let's shave your head and, you know, all, all these different things. And, you know, thanks for your 10000 bucks. Yeah, I can't believe people would spend $10,000 on this. People will spend $10,000 on anything if they think it's going to bring them something they can't have. Right, right. No, there are parallels, right, between the, the Bikram podcast and documentaries that we've seen and even the Uncover podcast. Um, Escaping Nexium. Well, Escaping Nexium and the most recent one. Oh, the, the Tough Love. one. Yeah, Lost Kids. Lost Kids. Yeah. yeah. You know, there, there's these these things where people, you know, say that I have a, I have the solution right. for you. Okay, you know, just again, for $10,000... I would expect that I was going to get one-on-one time with this very popular, supposedly successful self-help teacher and not, okay, we're going to go out in the desert and you're going to not have food and we're going to play a game where I'm God and now you're dead (laughs) and you have to lie there and we're going to shave your head. All these crazy things that went on before they even got to this, I don't even call it a sweat lodge because it's not, but this uh, oven. Circus tent of heat. Circus tent of heat. Yeah. Is that that what I really want to spend $10,000 on? Can I just say one thing about the hair part? I, I just kept thinking like, Nothing guarantees that you are not going to be successful at your job when you get back than going to a weekend of what is supposed to be like a success building seminar. And, and coming, coming back bald. Coming back, not just bald, but shaved by some bouncer. Just like wielding a pair of dog clippers or whatever. Oh, Barbara, looks like you had a very successful weekend in the woods. How do you think your car sales month is going to be? Yeah, bald and dehydrated. Wow. What I got to do to get you in? This Toyota. <laughs> uh. Obviously, these people endured a harrowing experience, and the shaving their heads seemed to be the least of it. But when that woman first said, "Like I was hiding in the corner, I wasn't going to do it," I would have been like, "Yeah, you keep hiding and just stand very still. Maybe they won't see you." <laughs> what were you going to say, Toby? Well, I was just thinking another person who was a little bit like this, but not really, was um, that we did a podcast, reviewed a podcast about was uh, Richard Simmons. Yeah who seemed like he actually genuinely helped people and was not a scammer. Right. And he had expertise. He knew how to he knew everything about exercise. Right. Yeah. He had been fat and he exercised himself thin and he actually did 
the workouts with the people. He didn't stand at the door of the uh, circus tent of heat and getting the cool breeze coming in, right? Like this guy did. Um, Kevin, can we just off the side? Like, imagine Richard Simmons doing it like Bikram. Oh, like sitting in a chair, sitting in the chair, (laughs) in a little 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 tesser, air conditioner blowing on his neck. All right, four more reps. (laughs) Yeah, it wouldn't have been so good. But you know, uh, and I'm not a big. I mean, I've barely seen any of Richard Simmons. But, you know, he always seemed like he was very affirming of the people who he was working with. And and that doesn't seem to be the case in these things, which is which is sort of starting from this, you're broken and I have this knowledge that's gonna fix you and it's probably gonna suck while you're going through it, but on the other end you'll you'll end up being stronger and more successful or whatever. In some ways, like it, try, it, it, it sort of packages itself as being affirming, but the general philosophy behind it is that there's there's something wrong with you, right? Yeah, there's something wrong. You need to let go. You need to just put out more positive energy, and positive things will come your way. Which brings me to my favorite hot topic around this whole thing oh. that we cannot let go. Oprah. All of my guests today say they have uncovered the secret. You know that voice. In the mid-2000s, Oprah Winfrey was a kingmaker. Even wealth into anybody's life. The secret is the law of attraction everybody's talking about. I'm one sure appearance on her daytime talk show could turn a book into a number one bestseller, turn a product into a phenomenon, or it could launch a self-help movement. Something that... I mean, everybody sort of thinks, including myself, I mean, we recently saw Oprah doing an interview and I just returned to you and remember said, well, I forgot how good she was at this. Like, she's good at that. Like, she's good at just like talking to people on camera. She had so many quacks on her show over the years. Mm. I mean, she brought Dr. Phil up. You know, he she made him a huge star. She made Dr. Oz a huge star. People who have really come to be questioned over the years for their integrity and their real credentials and their ability to sort of actually, like, be real people helping other people. She normalized Scientology tremendously by giving a huge platform, people like John Travolta and Tom Cruise on her show, and never questioning them about, you know, when they would talk about Scientology, she never asked any questions. Laura, I remember very, very clearly the very Oprah episode they show in this podcast, which, by the way, how much do they pay for that clip, Kevin? Tens of thousands of dollars. Uh, yeah, they must have. Yeah. If they, or if, zero. If they didn't, they're about to get sued. <laughs> because I just, even working on podcasts at my day job, um, but, you know, even buying a news clip, like from like an NBC mm. Nightly News or a Network News costs, like you want to like a 10 second clip of a news program, it's like 20 grand. Right. I can't even imagine wow. how much the Oprah clips cost. But Laura, I so remember seeing the shows about the secret on Oprah. And I remember the very show they play here where Oprah talks and she's like, I've always thought that, that whatever I put out in the world is what I'm going to get back. Thoughts, Laura? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I remember this and I'm still sort of fascinated by this whole secret thing because I remember when that was everywhere. It was like on media all over the place. I mean, somebody like me, I like Google everything and I look everything up. You could never find a lot of information about it. And so I was like, ooh, what is this? Like Oprah's talking about this and like you'd see celebrities that were subscribing to this. And like, I think that that definitely when you hear the secret then connected to the start of this guy, I keep wanting to call him James Earl Ray. What's yes. his name? Very unfortunate James name. Arthur James Ray. Arthur Ray. James Arthur Ray. <laughs> yeah. She totally James has Arthur the name Ray. of an assassin. Very unfortunate. Um, 
So when James Arthur Ray then becomes sort of sideways affiliated with the secret, you can kind of see how people jump on his crazy train bandwagon Mm. because Oprah was talking about that. And it's like, it's one of those things. It's like anything that Oprah talks about all of a sudden is just gospel. I mean, whether it's been vetted or not. Yes. And that's how it was. And that's one (laughs) of the things when you look at people who are like therapists and like legitimate people that work in the field of helping people, there's like standards that they're held to. And when you look at this like sort of fuzzy gray, like loosey goosey area of this self-help industry, they're like no standards. Right. So anybody can hang their shingle and be like, hey, I'm the guru or whatever. And like, sweet, like what's my, I'm going to be like the guru of cats. All right. <laughs> you are the guru of cats. <laughs> you know, like sweet. Nobody's going to tell me I can't be the guru of cats because like Oprah says it's cool. So I feel like it's just such a slippery slope because there's no like vetting process for any of this. Now, Kevin, we do hear from a lot of the victims families in the podcast a lot. I don't like this guy. And I think he's a scammer and a charlatan. So there's a feeling of um, dread and disgust looking at him. There are extensive interviews, especially with one of the people who died. Her name was Kirby. Mm-hmm. We hear Kirby a lot, Brown. Yeah. yeah, a lot from her mom. We hear from her. Was it her cousin who ends up being the lawyer who ends up suing? What do you think of the construction of just the inclusion of the family members and the sort of those very straight interviews in the podcast? Yeah, I, I mean, I th- obviously you have to have somebody's story from from that side. Mm. You know, somebody representing one of the victims or. or more of the victims. Um, I don't know if the other two families didn't want to participate because I would have liked to have heard from some other folks. But, but yeah, Kirby's family, uh, you know, really is sort of leading this charge that as they are dealing with their loss, that they are trying to improve the self-help industry by setting up uh, a set of ethical standards. Which they also pointed out in the podcast that a self-help teacher doesn't have a certificate, doesn't have a license, doesn't have a credential, doesn't have something that can be revoked Mm. for malpractice. So the only thing that you have is their word that they're going to be on their best behavior and do things in the interest of their students. Right. Well, we hear in the podcast that James Arthur Ray was basically a business guy. Like, he just wanted to have a business. And so he sort of took these little bits and pieces of different things he found, you know, teachings from, you know, how to win friends and influence people type stuff. You go to corporate seminars and, like, you know, do coaching with executives or whatever and basically steal some of the IP from, like, little places. Oh, yeah. His curriculum is just created it's by a pulling, you know, what worked from different people. Right. And, without having, and, and part of that also kind of speaks to the the catastrophe with the sweat lodge because he all because it could have been that or fire walking or whatever the heck that is like, oh, that, that has like some sort of it sounds spiritual and empowering. And he didn't know anything about you know, the actual ceremony, the construction of a real sweat lodge right. with breathable material and stuff. He just created a giant Ziploc bag for of heat. Ugh. And, you know, those people were baked. Right. So James Arthur Ray was convicted of a much lesser crime than the one he could have been convicted of. And he went to prison for a relatively short period of time. Uh, in his post-prison life, he is making a kind of a comeback or trying to. Don't call it a comeback. <laughs> Laura. It's been here for years. What do you think of James Arthur Ray's attempts to be in the spotlight again, a newly humbled guy who made some quote-unquote mistakes 
and is looking once again to find a following. This was like the most maddening part of this podcast to me. I was like, he totally turned it all around. So he's the victim. Poor him. He had to go to prison. You don't know how bad it was there. But now he's doing like this like B-movie version of being a self-help guru with his Mm. little like, you know, YouTube videos or whatever he's doing. And, you know, there was somebody, I think it was the mother of one of the victims, if I'm remembering correctly, who said like, you know, when they told her like he got out, it was like, I hope he becomes a car salesman because mm. like that's what he would be good at. Yep. And that's sort of an apt description. And, you know, I just thought it was ridiculous that he got out. And again, like Bikram, like remember Bikram, all this stuff comes out and he like hops a plane and goes over and he's still doing yoga retreats and this guy gets out. And I loved the way that they sort of introduced this whole storyline with the guy who was a therapist who was kind of like a self-admitted sort of self-help addict type person who started off sort of like on the side of him. And then the more that he watched what he was doing was like, yeah, this is pretty ridiculous and hmm. and actually kind of called him out on it. So I thought that was that was an effective way to sort of just show how ridiculous this was. Like, what the heck? How are people still subscribing to this guy? Like, seriously? Are you kidding me? Maybe they watched back episodes of Oprah. What do you think, Kevin? What do you think James <laughs> Arthur Ray is going to do next? Well, he's going to keep doing this yeah, because it's all he's ever known. Yeah. And he's going to continue to be a self-help guru until people stop paying him to do that. You know, I mean, is he going to have a podcast? <laughs> I think he does. Weren't you just waiting to hear about his stupid podcast? Oh man, <laughs> Laura, have you downloaded his podcast? Um, yeah, and I'm going to sign up for his chirotherapy program next. Um, <laughs> Good God! So that was uh, that was actually the most ridiculous thing that he said. And I like that guy who's like, like he should totally be dealing with temperature. Not, yeah, it's ridiculous. He says at one point he's like, well, you know, I think you know that had to happen for me to move on in my. T- teachings or whatever. It's like, wait, what? The point of those three people dying was so that you could evolve a little bit as a self-help scammer. So instead of being an asshole, you're just a flaccid dick. Uh, <laughs> okay. There you go. Wow. That's going to get edited out. <laughs> going to need a couple of things there. Boop, boop. My friend Walter over at Facebook Watch is <laughs> That's now- That's what I was going to say. What's the name of that guy? <laughs> he's he's going to be panting like he's in a sweat lodge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, these people. They're on the brink. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think we should do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should you check out Guru from Wondery, a new podcast that has been a hit on the podcast charts? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Guru? Yeah, I would say, you know, check it out. Don't listen to it on the hottest day of the year like I did. Although maybe you should because then that really kind of puts you in the mindset of these people that were in this god awful sweat lodge. Um, that wasn't a sweat lodge. You know, anytime we hear something from Wondery, for the most part, you know, there are some things that I like and don't like, but overall you get a pretty good overall picture of a case or a story. And in this case, we do have a lot of voices included. We have people that were there in the sweat lodge. We have family members. We have this great counterterrorism guy who finally takes on the guru. And, you know, I wish that they had maybe pushed for a little more accountability in terms of this guy and, you know, what he was doing. But, you know, he was resistant to talking to them. So, so you know, I get that. So I would say, you know, this is an interesting case. I hadn't heard about the case. 
Um, I think if you have heard about the case, you might not learn any new information. But if you haven't, it's it's kind of a good overview and it's a really interesting listen, if not maddening. Toby Ball, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Guru from Wondery? I, I actually had read about the case uh, when it first happened. You know, we didn't really talk a whole lot about, uh, you know, this, the narrator of the podcast and there's a little bit of cheesiness, which I thought detracted a little bit. But mm. for the most part, you know, they tell the story in a pretty straightforward way. Uh, it's easy to follow. You know, there's some interesting questions that come up. And some of them they, they bring up in the podcast. And some of them you, you kind of have to pull out yourself. But it, yeah, it's, 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 it's fine. So I'd give it a thumbs up. I don't think it did everything it could have with the story, hmm. but it, it didn't make like big mistakes and it, and it was easy to follow. And the story itself, I think, is is pretty interesting and, you know, illustrates some, some issues in the self-help industry. Kevin Flynn, what about you? I'm going to go thumbs up. Not a big thumbs up. Uh, I thought uh, it was, you know, solidly put together. The audio is great. They did a good job of telling the story of that retreat. So the beginning of this series was pretty strong. I was curious at the end how they did it. The middle kind of dragged a bit for me, but I thought the story was well told. It does sound like a Wondery podcast, and if you've listened to as many Wondery podcasts as we have, you know exactly what that means. You know him when you hear him. You know you hear him. The soundscape is large. Someone came in the door. <laughs> 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 yeah, uh, thank you, 20th Century Fox uh, Radio. Uh, I liked the investigative reporter who did it. What's and- his name? Yeah, that's what I thought. Keep going. <laughs> uh, you know, it was, uh, it was, like I said, it was pretty well done. Uh, so uh, I can't give it a thumbs down, so I'm giving it a thumbs up. Yeah, I'm right where you are. I can't give it a thumbs down because it's fine. However, I got to tell you, like the I would know it was a Wondery podcast if I heard five seconds of it. The reasons why are way too much fully, and there is a cheese factor in both the style of the narration and the way the story is put together. And you hear it more, you know, unlike the Dateline podcasts that we reviewed, where they sort of lean in to that very like investigation discovery channel style, like you know, sound design and so forth, and they lean into it with a stylized narration. Wondery tries to play it down the middle. They add all of this cheese on the one side, all of this foley, all of these sound effects, and then they have their reporter slash narrator who is supposed to be kind of like our, you know, commanding guide through the story, but we never hear him doing any actual reporting. We don't hear him talking to any of the people on tape. Um, It sounds very much like the tape was gathered, then they went into the studio, tracked some narration. But there's a disconnect between the storyteller and the story that we're getting in many ways that I find, you know, makes me feel Except disconnected. Except for in the beginning, you hear from talking with yeah, but James like Earl Ray. Yeah, very, very briefly. That's and all he could ever get. Yeah, but very, very, very briefly. And it's James Arthur Ray, by the James way. Arthur <laughs> Ray. <laughs> James Arthur Ray. What did I say? James Earl Ray. That's what I did earlier, Kevin. Would have been awesome if you had talked to James Earl Ray, though. Yes. It would have been magical. It would have been a real hip podcast. So, yeah, I I just, I do find there is a clinical, cold, made in a factory nature to some of these Wondery shows. And this is one of those. But there was a lot of great tape, and the story is good, and it's a story that deserves to be told. I especially like the, the parts about the Lakota and their, you know, objections to 
to, you know, the term sweat lodge and the use of sweat lodges, quote unquote, being appropriated for these kinds of things. So it's interesting enough. It's okay enough. Wondery, I would love it if you'd inject a little heart and soul into your shows. They just feel like treatments for future TV shows to me. And I'd love a little bit more than that. So mild thumbs up for me. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Moving on. All right, Kevin, we need to get some business done, shall we? Yes. Coming up in today's Patreon-exclusive Crime Writers on After Show, we've got a couple things to talk about. One of them is the acquisition of our beloved Serial Productions, makers of Serial, mm-hmm. by an audio production house known as... The New York Times. Ooh, the old gray lady. That's right. We're going to be talking about that. And we're also going to be talking about where we are with the HBO series Perry Mason, which we reviewed a few weeks ago. We're going to be talking about how we feel about it now that we've seen almost all of the series. I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts. So you can get that on Patreon. Plus, you can get Laura Bricker's Leave it to Bricker podcast. Plus... Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast, an incredible episode coming up of that soon. A great episode of Married with Podcasts that you can either listen to or watch on video, and it is a raucous good time on video. I highly recommend it. And of course, the Crime Writers on After Show. Kevin, quick question for you. Do we have any Patreon, Patron Saints of the Week this week? Our Patreon Patron Saints are Lisa Miller and Heather Hill. Peace be with you. <laughs> and also with you. And also with you. Yes. <laughs> Are you friends with Lisa and Heather? Uh, I think Lisa's in the Brichter scale. I recognize Lisa as a frequent contributor to posting in various groups we have. Nice. Mm. You guys ready to get to our second review? Yeah. All right, let's do it. Right now, we turn to women's gymnastics and the United States, which has become a power in recent years, now looking to become... They coached Romanian gymnast Nadia Comaneci to the first Olympic 10. And when Bela and Marta Caroli defected to the U.S., it paved the way for American dominance in the sport of women's gymnastics. By 1990, Bela Caroli was the face of gymnastics in the United States. Little girls from all over flocked to his gym in Houston. His summer camp sold out. And like any savvy sports personality of the era, he had an instructional video to help spread his message. 
You can do it. Bella Caroli became as famous as his stars, like Mary Lou Retton and Carrie Strug. But behind the scenes, the Iron Curtain-style training methods were physically and emotionally brutal on the young athletes. Their program isolated the girls from their parents and made them ignore injuries, creating the perfect environment for the sexual predator on their training staff. The Indianapolis Star reported on allegations against Larry Nasser, And once those accusations were made public, the news exploded. Accused of sexually assaulting young girls in his care over a period of 19 years. These sexual assault charges are rocking the gymnastics world. The new 30 for 30 podcast Heavy Metals looks at the story of the Carolis who made champions through motivation, manipulation, and masochism. The famed coaches elevated American women's gymnastics and then created the situation which has nearly destroyed it. Now, we are going to be talking about plot points for heavy metal. So to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our reviews. Kevin? Yes. 30 for 30 is a sports ball brand, right? It's from ESPN. I love all their podcasts. Why do I love all of their podcasts so much? I think, by the way, this is a great contrast to the Wondery podcast we just reviewed. Mm -hmm. I wish the fine folks at Wondery would take some cues from the production of shows like this and and make their shows sound, feel, be written like, be narrated like, a lot more like these 30 for 30 podcasts. Well, I think it's in their storytelling. They do an excellent job. Well, maybe not the same staff. This is the same organization that did The Last Dance. Yes, the Michael Jordan Which is Jordan a 10-part doc. yep. documentary it's about that last championship season of the Chicago Bulls. And we watched it. And even though we're not huge basketball fans or we're intimately involved in the Bulls season... It was just very engrossing. And they do sort of the same thing here. They tell a story that is about sports as opposed to doing a sports story. And there is a difference between right, that. Right, right. It's a uh, human story. It's a human story. It's interesting without it. You don't have to be a, a fan of the sport or know what the different gymnastic moves I am are. That. I'm a huge fan of the sport. <laughs> then it's good. I mean, another reason why I think this is really good is they have an excellent use of archival sound. They've got clips from the Olympics and Sports Center and you know everything like that. White World of Sports, and there's a ton of it, and it's used in a great way. It's basically a master class in putting together uh, that kind of audio. Now, just one quick knock on the podcast. Our narrator, Alyssa, it sounds like her tape was recorded on an iPhone in her kitchen many times. Right. For more than four decades, no name has meant more to women's gymnastics than Caroli. Bella and Marta Caroli, two of the most successful coaches in gymnastics history. I know it's a COVID world. I mean, I think that's what it is. Normally, but they normally could have sent would, her a decent microphone. Normally, I would have said, I would have, as, as, a, as a judge in gymnastics would have, I would have taken a few points off right. the score for that because it'd be like, hey, uh, audio folks, what's going on? Right. All the sound sounds fantastic except for her recordings. And look, when you're putting together something like this, you're probably recording your all your tracks last to fit with what you have. And so... They could have sent her a better microphone. I'm just saying. Well, they could have. They could have. Maybe she recorded <laughs> it in her closet. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? But, I, but I'm not... I'm going to give it a complete pass because I'm positive that's what happened. Right. Now, Laura, we have reviewed lots of Larry Nasser stories. I think two or three at this point. Yeah. Um, but this really isn't so much about Nasser and his abuse of gymnasts and, and, and other young athletes as it is about... 
I think it's sort of like the Cold War culture around athletics and what happens when you bring a cruel systematized program to the United States because the country is so craving excellence. What do you think about this story and what makes it different from the other gymnastics-focused stories we've reviewed on this show? Yeah, I think that, you know, we've heard, you know, a lot about Larry Nassar and we have heard about the Carolis before, but what we've heard before was more about just like the ranch and like the ranch sounds like a horrible place that I would never want to go to. Um, <laughs> it sounds like your husband and son's trip that they're taking this week. Yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, better you than me. But I think this gave us an interesting backstory that, you know, I'm sure people that have followed gymnastics know the backstory. I'm not a huge gymnastics follower. So I kind of thought it was interesting to listen how they defected and like this whole plan of their escape. And it was like sort of elaborate, like they were in the hotel and then they left and everything. And then, you know, how Bella sort of crafted this narrative around who he was and like Transylvania was involved. (laughs) I'm like, Transylvania, anytime you can throw that in a story. But um You know, I think that it showed this sort of rise of, at the time, this tough love, high standards, little praise style of coaching that was at the time seen as like, this is what we need. And now in hindsight, we're like, what the hell were these people thinking? But I I did think it gave this sort of really good overview of that evolution. Hmm. Toby, can you talk a little bit about, you know, the the Cold War versus America uh, part of the podcast that I found so interesting because the style, the systematized athletic training style was what, you know, the Eastern Bloc countries did. And when the Carolis came here, um, the American coaches who By all accounts, a lot of the coaches weren't into it, but the organization was. I found that super interesting. Can you talk about that? Well, I mean, I I think the thing is, is that, you know, prior to the the fall of the wall and when we were competing with, you know, mostly the Soviet Union, but also East Germany and some of the other, you know, behind the Iron Curtain countries, it, it was always, well, the way they do it is they take these, they take kids with potential and they take them from their homes. And then from the time they're eight, they're in these sports academies and they're just their destiny is to be in the Olympics as an athlete or or that's their ultimate goal. And that's very different than the way we felt like we were doing it in the US at, at the time, which was in our minds more sort of wholesome and you know, kids play Little League Baseball, and then you see who's good, and they go and play in high school and all this stuff. If they love it, they have to love it. Right. And it's not this sort of industrialized process. And that was kind of the us against them uh, storyline. That was part of it. So when the wall falls and they and and Bella Crowley comes over and they talk about how at the beginning he's a little bit frustrated because he basically gets whoever comes to his gym and he can kind of put himself out there as I was Nadia's coach uh, and that might attract some people, but he didn't have the opportunity to snag eight year olds from around the country and start shaping them at that age. And and he found that very frustrating. But because he was successful, uh, USA Gymnastics, you know, kind of acquiesced to that. It wasn't so much that every good gymnast ended up under his tutelage, but it did become, you know, there's this USA Gymnastics structure 
uh, where very, very young girls, and I assume boys too, although they didn't talk about that, are identified and get brought up through these various levels. And I, I've known a couple of now young women, but by the time girls who uh, were very good gymnasts on sort of a regional level and, you know, kind of had to make the decision about whether they were going to go all in on that because it does, it has an incredible uh, effect on their body. You're changing your body forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, you're getting injured all the time, mm-hmm. you know, and this is just like here when you're under uh, the Corollis and it's like, oh, you're a fat cow. You weigh 78 pounds. Eat you know? your raisins and egg and be thankful. No, no raisins. That's nature's candy. You're not allowed to have raisins. You can have strawberries and whipped cream. Whipped cream. Once in a while. You know, one of the things where they're talking about how the athletes got younger and younger and part of it was because as they matured into teenagers and got, you know, curves, like that was that was a hindrance. And that was something that I remember reading about like 20 years ago about women's figure skating. Yeah. So that they were watching some of these uh, skaters waiting for signs of puberty to hit because that was going to be the moment at which they started to fall off the pedestal. Right. Now, Kevin, I have a Toby note that I want to throw your way. Sorry, Toby. Mm -hmm. Uh, Toby wrote a note. It's interesting how we expect coaches to act and what's acceptable. And then what's acceptable to who? Toby writes, there's a big difference between how professional sports coaches have to deal with athletes and then also collegiate and beneath. Mm -hmm. When we were listening to this podcast, I just kept thinking of that Netflix show Cheer. Yeah. And sort of the grind of those kids and a lot of the same, you know, that was gymnastics and a lot of the same observations were made about, you know, the relentless injuries, the, Mm. you know, the, the thumping of the bodies on the mat, all that stuff. That coach, however, was competing at a collegiate level where what was at stake was winning the competition, not the glory of the nation. But I just kept thinking, listening to this and every sports focused thing we have listened to or watch, except for the last dance, I think. Mm -hmm really comes down to, in most situations, like the elite sports complex, there's so much abuse. There's just so much abuse. And I think this is true of the NFL. I think this is true of some sports franchises, even in baseball, where there's sort of this like militaristic like set of rules and you cannot deviate that out the, outside of them and be a human being. I, what do you think of that? Because we had this conversation and we, like, we're sort of talking about our Sounds like you were never on a team. That. No, I mean, I, I mean, I see teams mm-hmm. in the last dance. We see the 1990s era Chicago Bulls led by a coach who is nurtures, a good coach, yeah. but also nurturing allows them in, in many instances to be who they are to try to get the best out of them. And you see how successful they are. You remember in the Boston Red Sox World Series streak, they had those like long beards mm-hmm. and they were sort of like out on the town all the time and they were a very successful team. It just seems like though in these kinds of controlled sports settings, like abuse is just, it's just part of elite sports. Do you disagree with me? Well, I think that the Corollis are different You think situation. they're abusive? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they beat. I'm people. not saying that. Like, yeah. <laughs> so let's just say that oh, they did beat people. God. It's very different if you're talking about an adult mm. who's getting paid six or seven figures to play a sport. It's another thing when you're talking about 12, 13, 14 year old girls. Yeah. That are trying to compete at a high level at the Olympics, et cetera, et cetera. But they are still girls. And so to cut them off from their children. parents. The fact that they're girls is their children. Well, that's right. They're yeah. children. Right. Okay. And the fact that they're cut off from their parents and that they're lied to about the extent of their own injuries. As far as like the investigative part of this podcast, it kind of just confirms what we suspected about the Corollis. 
that they're martinets, that they enjoy berating and abusing and mistreating the athletes in order to get them to perform. But they were media darlings. They were. Recently. Yeah. Remember the Carrie Strug incident? Yeah. My teammates had done their part. I can't imagine, unless I had to be carried off, not at least trying again. Bella is over there from the divider, like, you can do it, Kitty. You can do it. And it was silly, Bella just saying, you can do it. Carrie steadied herself and visualized perfect execution. I said to myself, you can and you will do this. Yeah, you can do it. Don't worry about Carrie Strug did that vault with a broken ankle. It was still a long time ago. Remember? Yes, but everybody remembers the shot sure. of Bella Caroli picking yeah. her up and carrying her around. The Bella looked, show, absolutely. And the way that the media showed it was like he was like her dad. He was yeah. so sweet. And, and I think that scene in particular, like I was listening to it and I was so horrified. I'm like, what in the world? Like, I get it. You're at the Olympics. She's got a fractured bone. She carries on. And I mean, I come away thinking, wow, that's pretty messed up. I th- I'm sure she's figured out how messed up that was. And so I looked it up. And as recently as 2012, she's still out doing like these talks about using that as like a motivation to young people. And I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. Toby, what do you think about the media's relationship with the Carolis? I mean, did you see through? I, I'm assuming you watched the Olympics. Yeah. <laughs> um, did you see through the sort of media veneer and how? I mean, the NBC sport, uh, sports industrial complex fucking loved these people, loved it, and yeah. we heard it on the tape. I also remember it very clearly. What do you think of that? How does John Tesh live with himself? <laughs> um, at the time, he seemed like such a buffoon. Like, even though they were winning, you know, you looked at all the other coaches from the other countries and they're not acting like idiots. Like, they're like being coaches. They're hanging back, letting their gymnasts like do what they need to do, consulting with them or whatever, but they're not trying to make themselves the show. Right. And and that was clearly what Bella was trying to do was that, was that he was putting himself in a situation where he was the dominant force on that team, even though he wasn't actually competing For NBC, the only thing I can think of is that I do think there is for sports and and a lot of college sports are this way because you just don't hold on to players for more than four years and and for the really good players less than that. So when you're marketing your sport, you have to really market the coaches because they're the only people who are consistently there. So the only the only person they can really market over the course of several Olympics is going to be is going to be the Carolis. Right. Because because the, for the most part the the young women aren't coming back. Like they're going to age out or they're going to go on and do other things or they're just not going to want to go through another 4 years of regardless of the other abuse, the, the abuse they put your bodies through just in the course of the the extreme training they have to do. Yeah. So I think there there's that part of it. But the fawning that you hear over them and and how the network really just makes it about them. Mm. Like when they put together these teams of these incredible young women and in times girl athletes, and it's all about, oh, well, it's, you know, it's Marta Caroli's last go round. You know, is she going to go out a winner? I guess. But that's if her team performs. And, mm. and that's where the that's where the spotlight should be. Is, is on their performances, not on this coaching, which, to be quite honest, they don't really want to look at too closely. Hmm. Well, and I think that sort of shows when they're doing interviews with people that were coached by them 
And even now, after everything that's happened, when they talk about them, there's this like air of nostalgia and they're still sort of excusing the way that they were trained. There was like always a pyramid. Everyone had a place. There was the winner, maybe the queen bee, and everybody else was kind of like a little pawn to help push to make that one person successful because not everybody can win. There's only one winner. You hear people that clearly went through horrible, unimaginable training experiences were told they were stuffed like a Thanksgiving turkey and they still seem to sort of have this fondness for this couple. And I'm like, I think it depends on who you talk to, right? Yeah. I, I think it's the winners. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think that's the thing is that, the, is that when you come away with three or four gold medals, then yeah, it probably seems worth it. But you figure for every one of them, there's got to be 40 girls who went to the camp. I know, hundreds. And, and hundreds. you know, yeah. just yeah. Yeah. withstood the abuse and never had a chance of making the team. Right. But you just have to have that many people there in order for the top people to, to, to stand out. And 90% of them never have a chance. Yeah. I mean, there's some incredible stories. I mean, the Dominique Mociano story to me really stuck out because I remember that Olympics really, really well. Uh, she was supposed to be like the new Nadia. She mm-hmm. had these domineering parents who abused her and like forced her to be a gymnast. Dimitri Mociano led his daughter to the house and into the Caroli's den where her mother, Bella and Marta were all waiting for her. Then my dad starts going at me, like, why were you not working hard? What are you doing? Why are you eating what you're not supposed to? And I'm like, what are you talking about? I was so terrified. I'm like, I better just not say anything because I'm in trouble anyway. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, he hit me across my cheek really, really hard in front of Marta and Bella. I remember just holding my cheek, and I was trying to be tough, but I felt mortified and humiliated. And Carrie Strug's parents, she had been a Caroli gymnast and left and come back and her parents had drawn a line in the sand and been like, don't abuse our daughter. And then, of course, Carrie Strug was the one who went on to like, you know. Win it. Well, technically she didn't, though, which is something I never knew, which is fascinating. So just quick questions. I I do want to get to the Nasser question in one minute. But another question is the, the Marta versus Bella narrative. There is this turn where Marta becomes... The, uh, you know, the, the coordinator, which is basically the commandant of the U.S. Women's Gymnastics Olympic uh, team. And it feels for a minute when you're listening to the podcast like things are going to get better. And in some ways they do. The team starts winning very consistently and it builds into the dynasty that it is today. And that's when the era of Simone Biles and all these gymnasts who, you know, have seen this extraordinary success do you guys think I'd love to take a poll of you? Is Marta better or worse than Bella or the same? Do you guys have an opinion? What do you think, Toby? I, I don't know. I, I haven't I haven't thought about it in that way. I mean, they're both pretty awful, right? Yeah. So well, it's they're just package like de- deal. <laughs> it's like degrees of awfulness. I, yeah. I don't know. It's like comparing airplane food and hospital food. <laughs> hey, some hospital food's pretty good. One yeah. of the things that's interesting is we do hear some of Marta Caroli's voice in those 911 tapes from the Caroli Ranch. Hello? Okay. Um, do you need the ambulance to come out? I, I'm getting an ambulance. I'm asking questions that I'm required to ask, okay? All right, but uh, if you don't want to wait time, you must make sure that uh, the ambulance comes. Ma'am, the ambulance
Laura, what'd you think when you heard those tapes? That was like ridiculous. I was so angry. I mean, you hear people calling and you hear this is clearly like a very serious injury and they're asking her questions and she is not going to answer questions. Like who, who is she? She doesn't have to answer questions. She's Mata Caroli. Like, and I'm like, and one of the things when you were asking your last question, like who's worse uh, or better, Marta or or him, and I, I, they're they're kind of equal to me, but it sort of was like, you know, sort of a cautionary tale of like why does one person or one entity, because to me they're really one entity, like have all the power to control one sport so much like that is that that's is what very, the podcast is about Laura but I mean that's what I mean when you listen <laughs> to this you realize like how dangerous it is because you're like yeah what the frick like there's this injury out at this ranch which is crazy which is like this awful place and she won't answer questions and she doesn't have to answer questions and nobody holds these people accountable well I do want to talk about the rise of the Larry Nasser story in the podcast mm-hmm. and I think the podcast tries to make the case and it did for me anyway a pretty convincing case that it was the culture of the Carolis and the Caroli ranch that in no small part made it very very possible for Larry Nassar to groom and abuse Dozens and dozens and dozens, hundreds we hear of young girls and women. Now, we do know that Larry Nassar also abused uh, kids outside of the Caroli Ranch. We know he did it during his college job. We know he did it in his private practice. But the ranch does seem like the perfect venue in a thankless place where you can't even like eat a Tic Tac without getting smacked across the face. The one person who's nice to you. I mean, that opens the door for grooming and abuse, right, Kevin? Yeah, but I mean, I think if the coach here were Phil Jackson or Bill Belichick, two very different styles, Larry Nassar would still try to do what he did. You think so? Would he have wanted that job if the coach were Phil Jackson? Did he want the job because the coaches were the Corollis? No, it had nothing to do with the coaches. It had everything to do with the potential victims who were coming there. Right, no, no. Now, the issue ends up being that what the Corollis set up, the side effect of that, it isn't set up to create sexual abuse victims, but because of everything that they're doing in order to create uh, champions in the way that they are, it ends up creating an environment where it's very easy for uh, a practiced sexual predator like Larry Nasser to come in and, you know, no one's going to believe you about the, how you feel or the bad thing that happened in the training center because you broke your leg, you're supposed to shut up. Certainly no one's going to believe you that perhaps this stretching exercise was not what it was supposed to be. It ended up being, you, you know, steroid-infused setting for a predator like Larry Nasser. Well, I think we should do what we do. Let our listeners know, should they check out Heavy Metals? This is the new series from 30 for 30 Podcasts. The same podcast brand from ESPN that brought us Bikram, uh, a series we really, really loved, also a human story told through a, a sports lens. So, Laura Bricker, what do you think? Would you recommend to our listeners that they check out Heavy Metals from 30 for 30? Yeah, I thought this was really well done. I think that if you are somebody that's followed gymnastics, you will probably enjoy it more than I did because there were definitely parts in the middle where they really got into like the minutia of certain competitions and certain people and certain Olympics and things. And and I was thinking as I was listening, like, I'm not really into all this, but I'm sure there's people out there who love all these details. Like if this was like the equestrian Olympic scandal, I would be like, yes, I want this detail. But I think it gave a really good backstory on this culture within USA Gymnastics with the Carolis at the helm that led to 
you know, everything that's going on with Larry Nasser and sort of the future of the sport. Um, I do wish they had held the people at the helm of USA Gymnastics and the sport a little more accountable in this. But I mm. think maybe that wasn't perhaps the focus of this podcast. It was really more a story of this couple and, you know, what is the danger when you have one couple at the helm with little checks and balances for so long, what can happen? And I think we saw what can happen. So I would say give it a listen. Well, I will tell you, Lara, the head of the, U- the USA Gymnastics that we hear in this podcast no longer is. Yeah. There's been a subsequent head of USA Gymnastics that has had a very, very hard time and has not dealt with this well. And Simone Biles and the other gymnasts will not stop dragging them. So like yeah. no one has forgotten to hold these people accountable, at least in the public sphere. Toby Ball, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for heavy metals from 30 for 30? You know, I, I think these ESPN podcasts are just consistently excellent. I, I think they do a really good job of picking compelling stories that are sort of pertinent to society in general. And then they're, I think they're really well reported. They're really well put together. And I think this is, you know, this is another excellent uh, chapter in that series. Uh, so I give it a big thumbs up. I, I really enjoyed it and and recommend it highly. Kevin, what about you? Yeah, I'm a thumbs up. Uh, I thought that uh, production-wise, it was great, even though Alyssa's microphone uh, was a little off. Again, I'm going to give that a complete COVID pass. As far as the storytelling goes, perhaps uh, some of it could be a little tighter. Laura's right. It might have gone into maybe too much detail about all the different meets and, and whatnot. Although I, I did find um, the beginning story about the defection really good. And then there have really been like multiple stories already about Larry Nasser. But I think that this was a real opportunity to bring something new to our understanding of Nasser. And I felt like that was sort of the thing that got short shrift, that there could have been more time devoted to that. In the end, in the, the Larry Nasser legacy, the Carolis remain the X integer in this algebraic equation. What were they? Did they know when he was doing it? Can't say. Did they, were they warned and did particularly Marta not act? Seems like that that's the case. We could have, I think, seen a little more of that. I would have liked that. But otherwise, I thought the whole thing was good, and I'm a thumbs up for this. I'm a huge thumbs up for heavy metals. I am a gymnastics fan, and I... Kevin will disagree with you. I loved the middle sections with the meets and the tape and the descriptions of those competitions. I agree. I think it is incredibly difficult to do a podcast where you get in the moment of a sport and you get excited about an outcome of a sport, something that happened 20, 30 years ago that you actually already know the outcome of, but then you're like sort of listening to a description of it and what happened and the rotations. I thought that part was so tight and so good. It actually reminded me a lot of The Last Dance. Again, a documentary where I knew the outcomes of all of these things, yet it was Mm -hmm. still really fun to sort of watch the march and in the moment you sort of felt that and nervousness and anticipation over and over again. I thought it was super well done. I got to tell you, I think among the teams making the very best podcast that I look forward to the most when I see them come out, the 30 for 30 brand for me is way up there. It's way up there with Pineapple Street Media. It's way up there with Serial Productions. I really, really love this podcast. Huge thumbs up for me. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. 
On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone, in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Now let's get to my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime Crime of of the the week. These are not the lottery numbers you're looking for. The winner of a $95 million jackpot from the Jamaican lottery is, ready? Yeah. Darth Vader. (laughs) In an attempt to shield his identity, the ticket holder claimed his prize dressed as the Lord of the Sith. You know who that is, Kevin, right? Darth Vader. That's right. (laughs) The check was made out to a W. Brown who denies using the dark side (laughs) of the force to influence the outcome. He says he'll use the money to help his family. You know, moisture farmers from Tatooine who enjoy blue milk. (laughs) I didn't write this. I can tell you did. You like know everything about this, right? Ninety-five million Jamaican dollars is about six hundred and fifty thousand U.S. bucks, but it's still quite a decent chunk of change. You can be sure once his real identity is discovered, some people will put their hands out and say, "You are my father." Put it there. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Panel, here's my question for you, Laura Bricker. What will Darth Vader do with his winnings? Um, I certainly hope he will build us a Death Star to like evacuate us away from the pandemic world 2020 yeah like i would like seriously i would go on the death star with darth vader over what we have going on right now so who's your daddy Mm. (laughs) Ball, what do you think darth vader will do with his winnings uh star wars is not my wheelhouse Mm. uh but i'm just gonna say i think he'll probably get some of that genetic testing so he can trace his family and Make some <laughs> science-based. <laughs> or he can just watch the prequels. <laughs> or he can do that. Can you check his midi-chlorins? Kevin Flynn, what do you think Darth Vader is going to do with his Jamaican winnings? I think he's going to invest in carbonite. <laughs> Toby doesn't get it. Uh, Toby so doesn't weird. get it. Cut to Toby not getting it. Yeah, shaking my head. <laughs> All right, we should probably end it on that note. But before we do, Lara Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? Rebecca, just for you this week, we have a dog. Thank God. My favorite animal. (laughs) We have a dog from Dr. Kinsey Craig Hall, and it is Wheaton Terrier Bo. One of my favorite breeds. Because not only does he look like Stuart, the dog of Kevin and Rebecca, but he got a mass removed, and we just learned it's a benign tumor of the hair bulb. Nice. And there's all the pictures. He's got the donut of shame on him. And you can see poor Bo, he, like he's got his little incision, but he looks like he's happy and on the mend aside from the donut around his neck. So thank you for sending in Kinsey. That's right. Wheaton Terriers, they all look exactly alike. They really, really yeah. do. Everyone's like, my, my Wheaton looks kind of like yours. I'm like, no, 
Your Wheaton looks exactly like mine. <laughs> All right, Laura Bricker, folks want to reach out to you and send you pictures of more Wheaton Terriers or perhaps their mini blue Merle Bernadoodle so we can find out if there's a dog out there that looks like Briscoe. How can they find you on Twitter? At Laura Bricker. And Toby Ball, folks want to reach out to you on Twitter, talk about UFOs, Phil Jackson, or any one of your myriad interests. How can they find you on Twitter? At Toby Ball and H. And Kevin Flynn, if folks want to reach out to you and ask you about how you unbuttoned your shirt completely to record half of this podcast how can they find you on twitter you'll find me sweating it out at kevin p flynn and if you want to follow me on twitter or instagram you can find me at reb Lavoie or follow the show on twitter at crime writers on you can watch this very podcast on our new show produced exclusively for facebook watch find it by searching your app or at facebook.com slash watch slash Crime Writers on Podcast. I encourage you to join our amazing community in our official Crime Writers on Facebook discussion group, but we also have a regular old Facebook page, by the way. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media, and you'll get all the extra podcasts we make there, including this week's after show. Our theme song was performed by the New York Scott Jazz Ensemble and used with permission. Our line editor is the handsome and studious Henry Lavoie. Our social media and newsletter maven is fellow Taco Bell stan and school board activist Meredith Plunkett. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our basement where I also smack Kevin if I see him eating a single M&M. On behalf of all the crime writers, <laughs> thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. later. So can I just ask a quick question? And I would love for Henry to maybe pull this for the outtakes if he hasn't suppressed it all. Yeah. Laura, what the fuck is going on with your cat over Which there? Ca- oh my God, did you hear him purring? <laughs> I, he came up and he was like... Everything, you Laura. We heard you yelling at him, killing bugs. I was just talking like, to the cat. Christ, let's hope Toby is actually recording his audio right now. Otherwise, there's going to be 15 minutes of Toby talking and Laura yelling at her cat in the background. Partners in crime media. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire.